And we're back. Thank you all for who have uh, joined us earlier and are joining us now. Um, just a quick reminder uh, for those who might be new for the first time. Uh, if you want to ask questions, and please feel free to do so, especially during this session since um, we are going to have a little bit of extra time. Um, if you want to, there's three different ways. There should be a Q&A link at the bottom of the video that you are watching. If you have a Google Plus account, you can ask questions that way. Um, you can also send a tweet. Uh, send it to me, at the CME guy, with the CME Blues hashtag. And the third way is you can stick a question in the comment box right on the web page where you're watching the video. Um, and that'll shoot an email over to me. Do it that way. So enough about me. Let's move on to our next presenters, uh, Karen Roy, who you met earlier today, and Tracy Meyer from Performance Improvement Consultant. Um, name of their presentation is The Art of Storytelling, Developing Patient Cases with Impact. So Karen and Tracy, I'm going to turn it over to you. Great. Good morning, Derek. Again, good afternoon, I should say now. Good morning. So I recently had the pleasure of working with Tracy on the development of an online educational activity. And this was the first time that I had worked directly with an instructional design expert. And I really learned a lot from the experience. The task that I had was to create an online activity incorporating a virtual patient. And I was keen to try a simulation because I thought that would be the best way to match real-life clinical scenarios and be a good method in the case of shift work disorder, which was the topic that was in hand. So if you'd like to bring up the first slide on the project overview, Derek, I can explain a little bit about what we were trying to achieve. The performance gaps that we had identified included a lack of knowledge and competency and the use of tools relative to symptom assessment and patient management. And I was interested in trying out a technology platform that would allow me and the subject matter experts that I recruited, my faculty, to work directly on the case and the content. The online activity was part of a larger initiative. And I needed the flexibility and control to design the virtual patient, make amendments easily if that was necessary, and ensure we knew the intimate details of the simulation in order to be able to appropriately interpret the results. And hopefully you can see from the, the project overview slide here is that the intention was that this first simulation would inform later activities in the initiative. So it was important that this was designed to yield the right kind of results. So the next slide should be some initial observations. Having chosen the technology and engaging with Tracy, we started on the collaboration. So what we're going to spend, we're going to take some time over the next 10 to 15 minutes is with Tracy's expert input to share with you some of what I learned about instructional design and developing patient cases in a very impactful way. We're still analyzing the data from this activity, but like everyone in the CE community, I was interested in our achievement against our learning objectives, our learning outcomes, case duration, how were our learners uh, participating in the activity, and how long they stuck with us. So we've been monitoring the attrition rate of the learners uh, through to completion. So let's review with Tracy what we're seeing in action here and how to harness instructional design methods for 
optimal patient case development to include in CMA activities, and we're going to use our recent collaboration, as I said, as an example. Well, um, Karen, it was a great experience producing this uh, learning intervention with you, and I was particularly happy that you had chosen a branch narrative virtual patient for your simulation type. Uh, this kind of virtual patient requires a narrative approach that I think is well suited for medical education and plus I enjoyed having the chance to practice the art of storytelling. So I see a, a way to link the initial observations about your case to the three desired outcomes that I strive to optimize when I have my instructional designer hat on. I want to create training solutions for my customers that are effective, efficient, and engaging, or the three E's as I call them. And the, the way I do this is to select appropriate instructional methods given a customer's particular instructional conditions. And by conditions, I mean the things that I can't change. For example, who the learner is, um, how hard the content is, and so on. And so given those conditions, instructional methods are the strategies and tactics that I can use to maximize the probability that the instruction will realize these desired outcomes. So Karen, do you want to walk through each of these results um, and observations within the context of the three E's? That sounds great. And I know you've pulled some examples from our activity. So what we should be looking at now is the best practice of feedback. So let's start with effectiveness and feedback. Okay, um, so the effectiveness of this instruction is usually measured by the level of learner achievement of various kinds. A uh, typical focus for this desired outcome is the customer's learning goals for the instruction. You know, what, what do we want the learner to achieve? For example, one of your learning goals for this CME program was to encourage regular diagnosis and treatment of shift work disorder by general practitioners. That's right. This condition is really vastly under-recognized in primary care. And primary care clinicians are really ideally placed to uh, recognize and diagnose this condition and manage what is really a major public health concern. So what were some of the feedback methods that we use that might be contributing to some of the effectiveness that we're seeing in our preliminary data? Uh, there are two broad varieties of performance feedback we used, formative and summative. And I've also added another tactic, adaptive feedback, because the platform you chose to author the case with allows for this kind of design. Great. So there are terms that are familiar to us. CME colleagues, so let's look at some examples from this case. And what you're seeing on this next screen uh, presenting our formative assessment experience is on the right-hand side, you can see the case map or what is the authoring tool that we used, and on the left-hand side are snippets from some of the screens that the learner sees. So perhaps you can take, take us through what we're exactly looking at here in terms of formative feedback, Tracy. Okay, uh, so in the case map, uh, I've highlighted most of the instances of formative feedback using the yellow transparent boxes with the red outline around them. And um, 
but I've, I've only pulled out one to talk about. You really took advantage of the different ways to give formative feedback in this case. And it's a good idea since this simulation was designed to be more of a training sim versus an evaluation sim. It was a blend of, of those two things, but the focus was really training. That's right. So what did you choose to highlight here? Um, well, if, if you look at the red connector line with a little ball on each end, it's showing that the node within the case map displays to the learner as the further exploration focus on complaint screen. And if the learner chooses to go down the depression route, for example, if they make that choice from the four that you see on that screen, they'll receive a correction eventually uh, with some formative feedback, and that's what you're seeing there with the uh, feedback new antidepressant screen. Right, and we included that because that's a common misdiagnosis sometimes on initial patient presentation for this disorder. And you can see here they get the scowling mentor face. <laughs> uh, there's an optimal choice to make here too, that of asking our patient, who we named Christina, to describe her primary symptom of tiredness in more detail. And if this was chosen, the learner was given formative feedback that they were, in fact, on the right choice by the mentor. So I guess it's important that we give positive as well as corrective feedback through, throughout. So if we move on to summative feedback, how about that? How does that help to maximize the effectiveness of the case? Well, summative feedback is typically seen by a learner as pass, fail, or maybe a test score after the training event concludes. And one cool aspect of the platform we use to create the SIM, um, Decision SIM, is the ability to use counters throughout to, um, to quantify the consequences of, of selected decisions. Yeah, this is, that was really important to me, that the learner was aware of the real consequences of their decisions made throughout the case. We added values for things like the cost of unnecessary items, like for example, if they referred to a patient to a sleep center for an unnecessary sleep, sleep study, that incurs a significant cost and, and perhaps delay too. Um, if she had to come back to the office for additional visits, that incurred a cost and choices that made her appointment in the case go longer than necessary. We also address those because for the primary care audience, we're always hearing how they're strapped for time in their consultations and providing the multiple choices for screening tools, etc. in a simulation gives them the opportunity to learn what that means for their appointment time. So that was some really cool feedback we were able to incorporate. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you can see on the screen two, um, two summative screens, so you can see examples of some of the individualized feedback provided to learners after they've completed the case. This definitely contributes to a case's effectiveness. Thanks. So you mentioned adaptive feedback, and we're going to look at that next. How does that contribute, Tracy? Um, well, I wanted to highlight another benefit of the authoring platform we used. Um, by applying rules in combination with counters, we could create a nonlinear case, one where there are multiple narrative paths with more than one outcome. That was one of the reasons I chose to use it, actually, because having the case adapt to the individual learner 
is great for teaching clinical reasoning skills. So just help our viewers out here. What are we looking at here? Well, um, a best practice um, for branch a branch narrative sim is to add the branches at critical clinical decision points aligned to learning outcomes. Like the objective here on the screen that we've listed on establishing a differential diagnosis. All right, you're pointing out the focus on sleep node or, or screen as the learner would have seen it, where the work on that objective really starts. Yes, uh, the way we designed this branching was even if a learner had chosen the optimal path by asking about Christina's schedule, the opportunity to explore some of the other paths still existed before ultimately sending the learner back along the optimal path to the next objective. I see, and providing those nudges, if you will, to, to get back on the optimal patient path was another form of feedback, I guess. Yeah. So we're going to look at focus next. Right, the next screen goes into our, our next um, best practice, and we're moving on to methods that make instruction efficient. And I thought about the best practice of supporting the learner's capacity for focus. In other words, we're paying attention to how the instruction is making demands on the learner's working memory. I must admit, this is a challenge for me as we had so much to cover. And I think it's a challenge for the CME community at large as well because we're limited sometimes with this currency of time, quarter credit, half hour credit, and our credit. So I really had to work hard on ensuring that the learner was not overloaded in this half hour activity we were planning or confused about what we were trying to achieve. Right, and, and the efficiency of instruction is usually measured by, you take the effectiveness of the instruction and you divide it by the resources expended. And by resources, I'm, I'm not only talking about your financial costs, but the learner's mental effort and time. You have to look at this expenditure in relation to the accuracy and completeness, I'm sorry, the in relation to the accuracy and completeness of the learner's achievement at the end of the day. So what did you select to share for this practice? I thought we could touch on consistent styling, uh, content sequencing, and germane load. So this was a really important point of feedback that you gave me in review of an earlier draft of my patient case. So looking at consistent styling here. Can in my earlier draft, hold on just a second. Hey Derek, can you switch the slide? Thank you. Great. Sorry, Karen. Go ahead. No, not at all. Because <laughs> this is something I wasn't good at. <laughs> Um, you pointed out to me that there were no signposts for the learner in what I had developed for them to know where they were in the case. So maybe you can share with us specifically how you helped me do this. Sure. This is one of my favorite strategies as it is common sense and it's easy to implement. You get a big return when your case is consistent in terms of styling and by that I mean being font size, the amount of white space on the screen, captions, headings, and, and so forth. 
Yeah, and in my enthusiasm to share content, my thoughts were not necessarily always that well organized. So I see here that you put up examples of how we created headers for consistency, like feedback when the mentor feedback was involved, survey if we were taking a pause to take a poll at your practice versus expert opinion was also used to distinguish between the two mentors that we worked with. It really helps the learner stay focused because it makes it easier for them to select and organize relevant information, um, thus enhancing its transfer and retention. And I have to say, that's a discipline that I came to appreciate more and more. And I'll be using this moving forward, even in more traditional types of educational activities and design. So the next thing you advised me to look at was sequencing. Mm -hmm. So on this next slide, perhaps you can tell us what we're looking for here. Well, sequencing is making sure the ordering of the content supports the learner's achievement of the objectives. So if you take a look at the case map again, you can see the nodes are different colors according to the key. By looking at this color coding, you can get a sense of the overall flow of the case. Great. Um, Derek, can you ensure that we're looking at the content sequencing slide? Because that helped us make sure during development that there was the right pacing of knowledge, practice, and feedback. Like how the expert opinion videos, for example, were spread out so the learner doesn't have to watch too many as a row in a row, and that really helped me as an author keep me efficient in my development process too. Right, this kind of worked uh, for both the learner and for us because we spent so much time staring at this case map that um, to be able to to look at the flow in a snapshot like this was helped keep our brains fresh. And by doing this for the learner, it keeps their experience fresh and keeps them focused. And, you know, another kind of sequencing we used was at a more macro level, the yellow turning point nodes used to indicate critical clinical decision points occurred after the learner had revealed something about Christina that unfolded her narrative in a significant way. So the learner doesn't know everything about Christina you know, right when the case starts, her case becomes more complex in an elaborative sequence throughout the case. And as you can see on the screen there, just by looking at the color coding that Tracy um, instilled as a discipline that's working together, we could really see the flow through the case map there. Um, so moving on to the next slide, once you help me to get my house in order to speak, Tracy, you evaluated the appropriate cognitive load for the learner as they move through the case and looking at the screens as they were presented to them. Why was this an important aspect of your design review? Well, methods to manipulate germane load can help keep the information being presented relevant to the learner and related to the present task. You know, you don't want to split their attention. Right, right. You advised me at times to look at the content on each screen and encouraged me to split content and learner interactions across multiple screens. It had the added advantage, I must admit, of improving the aesthetics as well, making it not only more manageable, but more engaging, too. Well, I think you 
bring up an important point. I mean, we're talking about optimizing efficiency here through focus, but all three E's interact and can have a positive, negative, or even a neutral effect on each other. A way to keep cognitive load relevant um, another way, and I'm showing that with a case map on the right, is to create different paths or schemas. Um, something that's easy to do with a branch narrative VP. I'm showing with a yellow highlight on the case map the optimal path that would be most germane to the learner who had made all the best choices. Right, so that's the bright sparks in our audience. <laughs> So we're now going to move on in the next slide to look at how engaging the instruction or the, the learning experience is for the learner, right? Yes, um, this is often called an instructions appeal. Uh, your case's low attrition rate is a sign of how motivated the learners are to continue. They're not dropping out, and that's a constant challenge for training that's a voluntary event as opposed to being mandatory. And uh, one way to optimize engagement in a sim is to use instructional methods that produce the appropriate level of fidelity. So that's a new term for me, Tracy. What, what do you mean by fidelity? Well, how real is it? Um, the degree to which certain case attributes correspond to their counterpart in the real world is called the level of fidelity. Oh, I, I get it. Con contextualizing the learning in clinical practice is a tenet of adult learning that we learn about uh, right from the beginning. And, and many of our colleagues in medical education really strive to do that in the activities that they, they produce. So why don't we go ahead and go to the, we're going to cover um, um, adding multimedia and uh, one thing I was really happy about to see during development was how smart you were with obtaining appropriate and quality media. It's important to use media to help the learner suspend disbelief and stay immersed in the experience, but sometimes customers get seduced by this method and it actually backfires and begins to cause you know, cognitive overload, it will also most likely drive up your uh, development costs. Yeah, we're, we're used to people talking about death by PowerPoint, but sometimes I think we can have death by too much video, uh, too. <laughs> and, and budget's always a, a struggle. It was important for me at the outset that the patient image, for example, was appropriate for the disease area, and I spent a lot of time looking for the right one. And I also wanted our mentors to look like they were in the right environments for, for them and the role that they were playing. I used images and some carefully scripted voiceovers to convey some of the science supporting our clinical education as this was really the most efficient way to convey some complex messages. Yeah, you had a really nice mix of, of different media, and they, it was all placed, I thought, appropriately. And I also liked how you decided against videotaping Christina's actor and stuck with uh, narrative uh, instead in audio. And I think that not only kept your costs down, but it compels the learner to really listen to Christina's story and stay engaged with her. Absolutely. And uh, something that, again, CME planners and designers are used to doing is, is validating the case. So we're going to talk about that on the next slide. 
the information that we selected to share about the patient and how this was shared with the learners was, was very important to keep them engaged. We used what you called a discovery learning technique, I think, Tracy, where the relevant information about the patient's initial complaint was revealed only if the appropriate selections were made, thus simulating clinical practice and ensuring a very, I guess, authentic experience for the learner. Sure, that that's um, that's a good point, and it also links back to how we did that elaboration uh, sequencing in the case. And and you're right, uh, creating a realistic scenario that is clinically valid plays a major role in keeping the learner engaged. It also plays a critical role in maximizing the instruction's effectiveness. Uh, so there's another example of how utilizing a method to optimize one outcome may influence the other two outcomes. And I, I recall you doing a lot of footwork in this regard during development, Karen, from you know getting the chart values validated, making sure all the details of Christina's story were clinical, clinically reproducible, and so on. Yes, absolutely, and I must say my subject matter expert faculty were critical in this, and they helped me a lot, because they see these patients every day. They know how these patients present in real clinical practice. So in fact, let's talk about the characters we had in our case um, next. Okay. Um, well, with a branch narrative, you have a great opportunity to tell a good story, and Part of that is character identification and development. And in your case, you had identified three characters, the patient, uh, mentor, and clinical practice. And this person was closely related to the target audience. And then you had a subject matter uh, ex expert uh, mentor, a researcher. And they all had their own voices, environments, uh, dress, um, and this contributed appropriately to the patient's unfolding story and the scientific evidence supporting the, um, the content you shared. Yeah, I was happy how that turned out. Um, so for storytelling purposes, I was very careful to explain to faculty the goal of, the, of our activity, the design, and perhaps how this was a new approach for them. We talked about the roles they were playing, and this helped enormously when we came to the filming and made that process very efficient. They were instrumental in the design and the content of the activity and really helped me identify the best sources for content throughout. Well, it really paid off. Um, I think by creating a rich narrative, it allows for the case to be more than just solving a problem. It encourages reflection and the construction of meaning. So Tracy, we're just about at the end of our presentation here, and I, I know that there are a multitude of instructional methods to choose from, and I really appreciated your input in helping me develop my first simulation. Your translation of the three E's of effectiveness, efficiency, and engagement to the three practical strategies or best practices of fidelity, focus, and feedback for design is a really practical guide to use. And I'm going to use this and advise my clients to use this kind of approach in activities moving forward. 
Well, it was my pleasure uh, working with you. And, you know, the three Fs really came about as a way to help organize the variety of methods we used in development for the purposes of this presentation for CME Palooza. So thanks for letting me share my expertise in this way. And I look forward to creating more narratives or storytelling, if you will, for medical education with you using this technology in the future. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks, Karen and Tracy. That was really great. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to move right on to uh, our 12:30 presenter, Michael Bafudo, talking about how did all these people get here and looking beyond level one outcomes and live events. Tracy and Karen, thanks again. Uh, You're welcome. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you. The rest of you, I'll see you in about five minutes. <laughs>